You're listening to Creative Voices, sponsored by Treebark Store. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Creative Voices. I'm joined today by Sean O'Sullivan from Badly Made Books. Sean, thanks for taking the time to come chat to me. Oh no, it's a pleasure. So we've made a few goes of this, but here we are. We're finally getting around to it. Yeah, yeah it's, always, it's always difficult to connect at these times. Yeah. For side projects are always a uh, tough one to uh, find a time for. They are, in fairness, they are. But they're always well, well worth it. So uh, I'm more than familiar with your your awesome product. We stock you in our shop in Galway. But for anyone who isn't familiar with uh, both yourself and Badly Made Books, could we get a bit of a background and maybe a bit of intro to yourself? Yeah, so uh, Badly Made Books is a company I started a number of years ago. It was always with the view to start uh, publishing books, but along the way, with, I suppose, the recipe that I developed for binding them, um, have managed to sell a lot of notebooks, I suppose. Originally, without a commercial printer, was able to just start making blank books and was surprised by the popularity of uh, Irish-made recycled paper notebooks, but I think it's kind of the right time for it at the moment. Yeah, and kind of now at the moment getting into kind of finally kind of realizing the dream of uh, starting to publish books now. So you've got about four or five titles that are about with uh, a couple more on the way. Great. Uh, I think you, you hit a nail on the head there. Like Recycling material and Irish med as a combination would be very popular right now. I'd imagine it's it's definitely taking a lot of boxes for what people want to see being done. Yeah, I think there's not only just the kind of an appetite for it and kind of people's minds, but I think people are starting to finally kind of uh, realize they have to pay for it if they want to see those products as well if you want to see kind of responsibly made products and especially kind of to support local industries and yeah there's a, a thirst for it anyway currently and let's hope it lasts no no i think you i think you you'll have a good run as a jet and for yourself then you i know that you had written a book yourself and maybe that's some way of how you'd gotten into it but your background before that or what led you down this path maybe yeah uh funny one uh originally i think i I studied industrial design in NCAD in Dublin. Um, I'm not sure whether I was really that interested in this or whether it was just the only course that wasn't available in Cork. So it would, you know, send me automatically on the road to Dublin. And yeah, that was where I wanted to go. So, uh, but industrial design is always a good mixture of like engineering and art. And though I loved art, I didn't really see the kind of career in it. Um, so industrial design seemed like a slightly more practical way of kind of using, I suppose, the kind of artistic flair or whatever it is or my arty side as uh, people would say yeah yeah I suppose after that just didn't really feel the interest in industrial design though I enjoy like all the topics and the subjects that were covered in it I'm not sure I really wanted to I kind of saw it as like a you know doing technical drawings of toasters for a good few years before anything really interesting <laughs> happened and so you know I, I spent a couple of years over in Berlin first just uh, kind of was on an extended holiday um, working in, in bars and so forth coming back then I realized that I'd been spending a lot of time doing illustration and I really wanted to kind of have a crack at that as maybe my kind of creative outlet so I started to think that maybe it was possible to combine what I found interesting about industrial design the kind of ideas of I suppose kind of talking about like how we can be design things to be more environmentally friendly how we can kind of look at things to be you know I think there there was interesting subjects covered I'm, I'll get into that maybe in more detail later but yeah I kind of wanted to see if I, I could combine that with illustration and kind of create kind of an, an art form that was maybe more something I was passionate about and I was always a big reader. So I started to really look into books then as kind of my outlet for it. And I thought, oh, it'd be cool to be a, a children's illustrator. And uh, yeah, did my first book, wrote, illustrated it, uh, pulled the words out and then just illustrated it. <laughs> and then when I bought it down the local print shop and 
try to put it together and, and sell it out to friends, I realized that I, I made it pretty badly. I didn't know much about making and distributing books. And I, I didn't think it was kind of their production value was really kind of worth, I suppose, how much time and effort and how kind of good I felt the illustration was. And that's, I suppose, what started me kind of, I suppose, then the industrial design came back, actually, and, and it started to make me look at what the book as, as, as a product I could maybe make myself. Because uh, I'd made it to relative yes. success, and all it took down was a lot more kind of practice and figuring out how paper worked and how your materials worked, how much they cost, all these things. And I suppose, yeah, that kind of voyage of curiosity led me to develop a way of binding my own books. Um, <laughs> something I never thought I'd, I'd yeah. say, but, you know, and while the printer I was using was pretty slow, I figured the easiest books were the ones with blank pages and they started to sell, much to my surprise. Because <laughs> yeah. they were much more badly made back then than they are now. <laughs> well, I suppose, you know, uh, you can always use that play on the words for both the way you started out and as you said, uh, I think when you open up the books and you say, actually, they're quite well made. Isn't that what it says on the inside of them? I don't know. I, I think the badly made books are rubbish, actually, on the inside of them at the moment. Uh, I have no <laughs> idea what's said on like the older models. I've totally forgotten about that because I kind of always kind of taking on the kind of company and the the branding and kind of marketing side of things and what's written about it. That's something I'm very much still learning. So I kind of think I'm still holding my voice on, on those sort of yeah. things. But getting there, getting there. But even that learning in general, I mean, was there any resources available to you to figure out how this happened or how did you discover from your first foray into a badly made book to where you are now, should we say? I don't think John Deal is probably the greatest resource that I had available to me at the time, you know, because... <laughs> Like it was, it's a, I don't like to say my product's really handmade. Um, I, I, I say handmade with machines. I think that it's kind of handmade almost implies that it, it's almost fully handmade or it doesn't my head anyway. But I yeah. very much kind of utilize, I think for paper, for books, you need squares, you need angles, you need, you know, mathematics and stuff. And you're always going to be assisted by tools, by different machines. And that's actually the only way to, with the help of machines, it's really the only way to make it an affordable product. Yeah. at the end of the day and, and when you're talking about books you need to sell a lot of books you know and, and it's not just from like a kind of a monetary point of view but if, if you're writing a book I suppose you want to create an audience the way yeah. I, how I describe my first book is that it you know went out to 20, 30 friends and my family and the book that I thought would be you know was really worth writing for everyone to read was like the tree falling in the woods and no one was around to hear yeah. and I suppose that's the kind of the main thing I think I learned with, with writing the first book is that an actual active book needs an audience. And, and that's one of the great things about stationery, the, the blank books, the kind of branding, the whole lot of running yeah. the company is that it's it's good. My yeah. second book that I went to write that it now has a public company to publish it, but it doesn't exist. <laughs> okay. I will worry about that later on, you yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Coming time. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose I could see like people often pick them up in our place, and there's always I think people always still have a bit of an affection and a fondness for a good notebook or a diary or whatever it might be. So it makes sense to go down that route. Yeah, it's kind of it's amazing to me as well. Still, how many interpretations there are of what people will use a notebook for as well. It's something for me that like you know, first rule of art college always carry a notebook. You know, yeah, um, and just kind of track your thoughts and, and and look at your process. I mean, there's. Essentially, I find I kind of use my sketchbooks always as my diaries. There's a lot of memories kind of built into them. I find yeah. it's always good, just similar to writing stuff down on your phone or writing stuff down anywhere. You can express yourself and take load off your mind. I think people still feel more expressive if they can physically write or draw the thing themselves. I mean, 
we see any amount of people passing through our place who are working for themselves in some creative way or another and they're still all carrying notebooks, you know? Yeah. It's something, it's something kind of permanent about us and you can kind of reference back to it. It's not kind of in a file somewhere. If there's something kind of, I don't know, something concrete about it. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but I, for me, it's that I can't draw. I'm on, <laughs> on the phone, on technology, I just can't draw, you know? Like, it always looks like computer drawn, whereas when you're drawing on a piece of paper, you have any amount of materials and options available to you to kind of bring the page alive, if you know what I mean, or make it yeah. more what I think you're kind of trying to create. Yeah, express yourself in some way that's kind of honest to who you are. Yeah, and like some, I do it really messily. I just like cover scrolls across two pages and other people are much more organized and, you know, there's also different formats and planners and diaries and everyone kind of, I suppose, it's it's still for me it's really interesting how differently all notebooks and books could be interpreted and I suppose with my product in a way it's like I have one recipe that can be interpreted infinite different ways because yeah. you could print anything on the page any number of combinations of words or letters or drawings or lines and it's infinitely variable only kind of limited by imagination I suppose yeah it's true it's a good point very good point and so you transitioned from that first book that you've written yourself to realizing that maybe you needed to upscale and develop a better ability to make the product. And then was it selling in markets or where did you start or where did you go from there? I was going to say, it was never by like upscaling you. Know, <laughs> like, kind of, uh, it was like, it was an absolute rabbit hole. You know, it was uh, just like something that it, it, like, I don't think I ever kind of pointedly kind of thought it would happen, but in the end had made enough books just through pure curiosity that I figured something I had something to sell um, but yeah to answer your question sorry yeah I, I remember my first market I sold like three books two of them to a friend and barely broke even for the day and I was I was absolutely uh, like half gutted but also at that day I learned so much I learned so much you know how kind of how to set up how to sell what the best way to do it is, how to vary your kind of price ranges, how to hit different boxes, all this sort of stuff. And markets kind of teach you one thing and then dealing with shops then will we'll teach you another. And I kind of started to do the two of them at the same time. Um, yeah. Friends of mine had a shop in Temple Bar. I was living in Dublin <laughs> at the time. And <laughs> much to my surprise, they, you know, took the product to sell in their shop, you know, their real yeah. shop. <laughs> like yeah. I had my like badly made books, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and it was just funny and it, it's just started to, I suppose what was interesting for me and, and, and the bit of advice I got at the start was like, but, but are they, are they, they're ordering books. Yeah, that's great. But are they ordering them? Are they ordering them again? Yeah. You know, like, do, yeah, you, yeah. do you have a, do you have something kind of more sustainable here? And when that started to happen, that was another big compliment. And, and even now these days, like more and more people kind of know about the, the, the product, I, I, I almost said the word brand. I don't like that, but, you know, <laughs> um, and, and more and more people use them. Um, and the, the kind of orders are getting bigger with shops or you'd sell more at markets. And it's, it's nice when you kind of get that, that positive feedback and you kind of really see it in how many products are actually being kind of demanded out there. Yeah. And of course, you have your own space in, in Cork City now as well that I visited there recently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, almost six months old now. Um, so yeah, I moved to a new workshop in the city centre in Cork and yeah, I wanted to yeah, have something kind of a bit more, a more interesting building, a kind of a more, a, something a bit more expressive of kind of what I had in mind, maybe a bit of a gallery element and kind of to be able to kind of meet people there and show people stuff. Um, yeah. 
and that's worked out really well. Um, I think it's it's also one of the most interesting things about it. It's taught me so much about my own product and kind of is it is like largely a wholesale thing and I supply other shops and I used not have any idea what would happen once the box had left the workshop you know I never yeah. kind of really kind of experienced kind of the, the idea of kind of selling the product in a shop and yeah. you know started to learn that once I'd see kind of how people reacted and how people walked into the shop because it's different to a market I guess you know, it's, it's probably a very of, different experience isn't it yeah yeah, because stuff can be on the shelves there for like a month or two, whereas everything you bring to a market is always kind of relatively fresh, you yeah. know, or you can kind of, it's, it's, it's a bit more, and it's a bit more loose. You can make your own prices. You can play around a bit, you know, whereas in a shop, it's kind of, it's a bit more strict, a bit more professional, you know? And yeah. so quickly, like I ended up putting like a little bit of like a small packaging slip on the book just to kind of explain things a bit more, you know, and you kind of start to see the kind of how the retail experience works. And I think that's really good for your, your kind of production side that you can start to relate to more of the whole kind of process if you know what I mean yeah you know you can start to see how the retailer thinks because you you do a slight amount of retail yourself you know I suppose does it almost give you a chance to kind of amend and tweak what you're doing quicker because you don't have to wait for the feedback from the other seller you're getting it direct from the people who are buying your product I, th- I think I always like that I think I think maybe I never I always kind of took maybe customer feedback um, never, and you can take. Sorry, yeah, you, you can take feedback. So, to a certain extent, you also kind of need kind of primary knowledge of what's going on because feedback is always quite secondary. Mm. You know, it's someone else telling you what they experienced and so forth. But to the lens of whatever suppose, they think it is, yeah, exactly. And everyone, again, like I said, they're only limited by imagination. You have <laughs> no idea. <laughs> so are people's like suggestions and stuff like that, and you know, and, and for good and for bad, but. I think it really gives you a chance to kind of see how things happen. Like see that moment every time that the person picks up the book, yeah. you know, and do they kind of like some people will hold on to it from the minute they pick it up the first time and other people will kind of pick up 50 different ones before they decide what they want. And, and there's all sorts of, you had to kind of, I suppose, make sure as well that by the time the product is sold, even no matter how many times it's been picked up, put down, it's, it's still in kind of good quality as well. So I don't know. There's there's funny things to selling that I never imagined, and I'm already starting to kind of learn now. Yeah, sure. I think whenever you're involved in any sort of process of making a product and working for yourself, you're going to be constantly learning all the time, anyways. Oh yeah, it never ends. Yeah. It <laughs> never does. <laughs> yeah, like and, and and you know, long may that last as well. You know, I think you know that that saying every day is a school day is one of the kind of. To me, it's one of those positive things you can hear. I love that idea, you know, and I think if you're getting to the end of the day and you're not really kind of learning anything new, shame on you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no not that. I mean, to each their own, but, you know, yeah. I, I enjoy it. Yeah, no, it's it's good because even though you're selling similar products the whole time, I'd imagine you're getting very different interactions because the nature of what you do, it's not like someone goes to your shop five days a week. You're not having the same repeat transaction. It's going to be something different for each person. Yeah, I, I swear you get a little bit off the beaten track as well. So you kind of get, you don't get, you, you kind of, you get a lot of local people and people who might have come to see, especially to kind of see the shop and stuff like that. So I, I yeah. kind of like that. I'm not sure I can handle it if it was more central and yeah. if it was any busier. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, and, stop um, interrupting me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. We, we spoke to... Um, guys from our coffee supplier's calendar coffee a good few episodes back and 
they have a beautiful little roastery up here in Burner and Galway and they've a fairly open door policy that they said they might have to rethink because they said as nice and all as it is for people to call in and want to chat and see the process the whole time those days they get literally nothing done from talking yeah. to people I mean I, have, I also have dreams of putting a little coffee machine in there and kind of you know having a little coffee shop bookshop but I think that will only work when I've got like someone else to to run the, yeah. the kind of production side of things you know yeah. walk before you can run you can't spend all your time yeah. drinking coffee yeah <laughs> I don't know man it's working it's working out okay for me <laughs> and um, then I'm just looking to as well at your website where you're, you're talking about what makes economic sense also makes environmental sense I see that's important to you but how the products are made we might touch on that for a moment perhaps yeah, kind of. I'm trying to kind of collect my thoughts around this at the moment. I was trying to write a piece during the week for a small magazine, and in a sense, yeah, the environment is a kind of funny subject for me. I was going to be talking, kind of trying to write earlier on today. Is that it's not really the environment that I'm into, you know? It's it's more the industrial side of things. It is very much like I, I don't see myself kind of, <clears throat> you know, living off the land and all this sort of stuff. Sounds like a lot of hard work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I kind of like Tesco's television, techno, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I think in order to enjoy kind of nice industrial products, kind of like a notebook at a relatively affordable price and to enjoy kind of the, the kind of world we've, a commercial kind of materialistic world kind of we've grown up in and, and to a certain extent offers so much to us. And uh, we really need to kind of temper it in relation to its kind of impact on the environment. I think we can have a, a smarter version of industry. And I think that we can kind of tackle some of the the kind of simple things that we kind of know quite well. In, in my, to me, as someone who wanted to get involved in paper and publishing, who wanted to even kind of deal with these subjects, I wanted the vehicle that kind of carried this sort of thought to be kind of, I suppose, not to be hypocritical. Mm. Um, and and then, so to me, then I kind of realized that I, the book, the second book I wanted to write was called The Polar Bear and the Roof and had this kind of obvious environmental tone to it. But to me then, like, to finish that off and to not have control over how it was being made and to, you know... Yeah, it seemed counterproductive. Yeah, to kind of... Yeah, send it off to someone else so that you're... You've, you've kind of said something, but what have you done? If you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so to me then, it was important to kind of find as good a material as I could get or as good as ingredients as I like to say and to try make stuff in Ireland, cut down transportation, cut tr- cut down less trees, you know, and to try and figure out is there a, kind of a different way of doing this? And I suppose almost the kind of challenge that that was kind of eggs you on as well. And yeah, it was uh, lots of different prototypes later, you know, with much waste. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ain't no zero waste stuff. <laughs> yeah, which was impossible. No, you do, I would say. Ah, but in, in any sort of prototyping process, I, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's the, just, I suppose, yeah, I made a lot of books and made a lot of mistakes and eventually found something that I thought, you know, was kind of relatively worthwhile. And that was to be able to make books out of, you know, recycled paper, a couple of staples and some, some, some paper tape to kind of make sure the waste was kept down to a minimum. Yeah, it's kind of nice to kind of figure those things out. I think that there's a lot of products out there that could be reinterpreted as, a, a, you know, again, in a way that is just a little bit more sustainable. And yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of space for kind of making things as well, more locally. We used to, like, I looked through old cork almanacs or kind of old cork directories from, you know, the kind of early 1900s. And there were so many small industries in, in our cities. You know, we had, we made all sorts of products, you know, brushes, brooms, uh, you know, 
paper, inks, pens, all these things. And, and it's unusual, I suppose, to kind of, I suppose, look back and see that we had these things when, or even to the idea that someone local was able to make some of these things. You know, I always think of a lot of things like beer or the craft beer thing, something that came from a factory, you yeah. know, and then you see somebody make it <clears throat> all of a sudden and it kind of demystifies it. And I think there's a lot of products out there that could be done in that way. And I think I kind of hope that maybe I've done it a bit of that for kind of books and publishing that you kind of demystify it a bit and, and I'd say actually, you know, it's possible for people to do this. Yeah, because you're quite open about you. You hold your workshops on a, a fairly regular basis, don't you? Uh, regular. <laughs> I'm bad for planning. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm definitely open about like what I do and how I make it. I, I, I think that I, I, I kind of even the design I find it doesn't really hide much. You know, it kind of wears its its mechanism on its skin. Yeah. If you know what I mean, it's like, you know, because we use packing tape to, to kind of keep a couple of sections together. It's essentially just a couple of copy books, like taped together. Yeah. Like, that's essentially what I sell. Yeah. <laughs> and then I put it in a cover. But yeah. like, you know, a couple of copy books is better than one copy book. You know what I mean? Got a nice paper going on as well. So they can draw in and, you know, there is, there is something to it. But, um, I, I don't find it as something that's quite kind of mysterious. Um, and I like the products to be like that. I think that it's great to see how things are made and to understand them. I think when things are less complex and less mystified, then we're also better able to repair them yeah. and to kind of give them maybe even more respect. And I think that's kind of maybe part of my design philosophy. I'd love to see things that'll be much more, you know, that you can, that you can fix and that you can kind of get that sort of, um, longevity out of. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a good approach. I mean, sometimes simplicity is almost better, especially if it's something that you want to get a bit of a lifespan out of. Yeah, I mean, if you look at like a lot of the kind of old you know, brown furniture, as they call it these days, you know, and it's it's a solid wood. Yeah, you know, if anything happens, that I get scratched, just sand it down and restain it. Go like, again, it will still work. Like, yeah. you know, it's grand, and then you know, whereas we've we've kind of come to think of most of our kind of products as having shorter lifespans. And I think that kind of that gets reflected then in how things are made. And in a sense, then for better or for worse, we kind of get our products with, with shorter lifespans. Yeah, we we, we accept it because we think that's what's okay, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's I I think I heard Basket Weaver recently, Joe Hogan is his name, he's speaking out in Riverstick at the Joseph Falls studio. And he said he said something to, along the lines of it's incredible to see how low our standards have sunk. Yeah. You know, as as regards kind of what we accept as kind of, I suppose, um, goods, you know, for want of a better word, you know, or, or design or something like that. I think, yeah, I think there's, I think things are trying to push back though, I think, and that's kind of a healthy thing. You know, that's probably where some of the expression of interest in handmade comes from, even though I find it hilarious that like, we hold handmade to such high standards, especially given the efforts put into it. Whereas people who have the deep pockets for industrialization and big machinery and stuff, we're willing to accept poor standards from. Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it as well. Um, yeah, it's in a sense a lot of what I find for myself, and it's, it's a reason that I'm also quite slow to grow the company is, you know, but I need to kind of take, take it on at some point is to start to share out the tasks, you know, and I think when for me as someone who can, now like draw write edit <laughs> print yeah. and publish my own work 
you know, yeah. as well as making the book itself, you kind of have that kind of control of all the different processes. So you kind of see how they're interconnected and you can kind of prepare for different things, different eventualities. And you kind of create one almost kind of like uh, one whole product, a kind of a full kind of chain where in a sense, everybody being one person is aware of what's happening at all these different stages. Whereas when we start to separate these things out and separate out the, you know, the editing and publishing from the print and that from the kind of writing and the, even the drawing then as well, then you have a lot of different kind of voices going on who all kind of want different things. Yeah. And I think it's sometimes harder if you take that to an industrial level where someone's making, someone's designing, someone else is budgeting, you know, and yeah. someone else is, is managing these things. And they may never Everyone even see each having, other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I don't think there's such a disconnect then at the end of the day from the product. It's nobody's, nobody's baby at the end of the day. Yeah. It's something everyone has kind of pitched into, but I don't know, I'm kind of losing myself a bit there, but I think there's definitely something interesting in the fact that things are kind of very separate at the moment yes. and the chains of kind of command and the chains of supply are, are quite long. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's true. That's true as well. Um, but you do often collaborate with others as well. I mean, I've seen some of your um, work with, uh, I'm a big fan of Space Kitty versus the economy myself. <laughs> Yeah, I still even laugh when I hear the name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, again, because I can print, I can, I can, I'm open to, everything's open to interpretation. Um, once you have this kind of, as I said, like one product that is the book, it can, it can take on different covers while still being a notebook. The minute you start playing around with the inner pages, you can do things like diaries, or you can start publishing people's, people's work and whether that's, a catalog for a sculpture exhibition or whether it's a story or whether it's a collection of words or art it's again only kind of limited by imagination and scope yeah. and well for me as well kind of limited by what i can print what you can like print the, yeah yeah and then, uh, yeah I got, I got a reason printer i went the awkward way and so <laughs> i try to avoid like kind of like kind of big color and uh digital photography and stuff like that so there's ways of working with it and you know, there's no end as well to the amount of great content that's out there. And it's a lot of them people kind of are able to make it available to you to kind of use and to, to vary the, the kind of selection that, that I can make available. It's yeah. always really interesting. And, you know, for some people, um, like Amy Jane Hudson, who wrote Space Kitty versus the economy, something, some people just send you stuff. Yeah. And it's great. You know, and I was walked in one day and, and opened an email. And looked at that for the very first time and thought, yeah, I'm going to make that exist. Yeah. You know, that, that's interesting. And, and that's it. But I do think there has to be a certain quality to it. I think there has to be, I think things have to be kind of worth the materials that they're printed on or that's used to kind of make them. But once they tick that box for me, I'm happy to send stuff to print. Yeah. Well, I think make sure it, it's kind it feels of, like it's a bit of a match for what you do as well. More than, um, children's book that Melanie wrote or the mountain that moved. Yeah. Yeah. Both of those books have somewhat of a, a kind of a current tone to them. Um, the Mountain of Moves by Melanie Jean Whelan is about a mountain. The Dublin Mountains, in fact, next to, so the mountain lives next to the city and is not being treated very well. And so it decides to kind of, kind of take a, uh, take a walk. <laughs> and I, I suppose the fact that I'm not to like, a spoiler alert, the fact that <laughs> the mountain goes to live in, in this ocean shows that like, it kind of had that, that was one of the first images I saw and it reminded me so much of sea, sea levels rising. And so 
just out to that one image alone, I think is, is quite powerful. And <clears throat> I kind of, I'm not sure whether I kind of would like to print the sort of things that don't have that kind of extra layer of kind of meaning and relevance in today's world. At least I think so. But Space Kitty is kind of similar to that. It kind of, again, it's a kind of, as Amy says, it kind of tracks the highs and lows of a, what is it? The space kitty ah, rides the who rides the wave of economic growth and collapse yes. or something like that. But yeah, no, it's they're they're good fun, and I think I think as well that kind of small illustrated books give you they're they're just something that's kind of short, and they can often kind of take an interesting concept and explore it in a couple of pages, rather than having the need to kind of write for three hundred pages about a subject. Sometimes they can have as much impact. It can be quite as, just as expressive in a short space, and maybe even more more impactful because it is so condensed. You know, you can so you can put so much in drawings as well that I find anyway that you can't say it say in words. Yeah, there's just the things. Some things you can't express in in words, and you can just get in a drawing and vice versa. You know, different kind of thoughts or different ideas have their own kind of sort of best format for execution. I think we're also used to operating in a very quick and visual medium these days as well. It's what translates best to us, you know? Yeah, there's there's something, I suppose, for me, like in, in with the uh, the ideas of like, you know, with our kind of current media and yeah, I, I think it, that does kind of writing and kind of news and stuff very well. But for me, I think like picture books and again, getting back to like drawing and stuff like that, I just find it just never has the same impact on the screen than it does on the page. Yeah. And so for me personally, I think that like art books aren't going anywhere. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that, that's a mar- that's market. That's, that's what I would think anyway. Yeah, no, I think it's a market that for the people who, who desire those things, it's it's always going to have a high value to them personally. Like, I could be interesting as well. And everyone kind of has different tastes as well. Yeah, you know, there's just something about yeah, there's something about the drawings and art that you know people kind of have an attachment to it, or they don't. So tell me yeah. what you're working on now. What's the plan for going forward? Uh, Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all probably have our head. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard. I, I, I'd like to, I find it fine. I'm probably not doing enough um, my own kind of writing and drawing at the moment. So a couple of small projects that um, I'm going to try to get started again. I need to do a drawing in the window of the shop. Um, that's one thing I've been meaning to do for a while. So I need to tick that box. Um just kind of draw up in the window and kind of get a bit more, you know, okay with uh, kind of getting back to drawing again. Yeah. I think I've spent so long making books and kind of running the business now for a bit. I need to kind of find a bit more time to kind of be creative. Um, other than that, as regards badly made books, it's kind of diary season and kind of gift season and Christmas is always a busy time. So like I spent this year, I'm a lot more prepared for it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I got a cat. I got a catalog out. Yes, you and do. I like put out the dates for the diary like into an InDesign file, and they're all correct. And I did that in September, not November, with like the first year I did it. So I'm actually pretty proud of myself for being prepared <laughs> for Christmas. <laughs> That's a tedious job, just like putting in every date and every day and making sure it's all correct. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, so that's a. Uh, yeah, that's a kind of a fun thing to do. So things are kind of getting prepared now for the kind of busy time of year. And we kind of getting ready then to kind of launch a few new things in January as well. Yeah. And I imagine that the, the shop itself is probably still a work in progress the whole time as well, making tweaks of layout and what you're working with. 
Yeah, very much so. And it's, it's kind of the way I like to design as well. Um, it's kind of take things step by step. And I think we can kind of sometimes suffer from making kind of huge decisions early on and kind of becoming like convinced that this X and Y is going to work. And for me, as I didn't really kind of, I'm kind of aware, I think that I don't really understand my industry yet. Um, I don't really have maybe kind of assumptions about it. So I've never built a print workshop before. I've never put together a, a shop slash workshop that's supposed to make books and sell them. Yeah. So I did it as like, I suppose just kind of put in the minimum amount of things, painted the walls white and put up some pictures, brought the machines in and kind of that, you kind of let the space kind of dictate itself after that. And now I'm in the space almost six months. I kind of see now where the kind of changes are to be made and kind of how things might kind of work better. So there's kind of a grand plan, but you're making changes, you know, yeah, almost every week, I suppose. I suppose it's an interesting one because the nature of what you do being so specific and the way you found yourself to it, it's not like there's any metrics to draw on or anyone's experience that you can rely on. It's, you're very much figuring this out as you go along. Yeah, and I suppose I, I kind of like to think that. Um, but I think I, I think there's there's no one that I can kind of directly. If there's no one I think has that kind of exact same direct experience, if you know what I mean, it's not kind of a chain of command within a high company yeah. or, you know, or kind of a big company, sorry. And there is a lot of kind of figuring things out, but I suppose you kind of have to consult and talk to people who have had similar experiences, whether they've, you know, run a different style of business or whether they maybe did almost the same thing, but with like different material, i.e. like leather or you know, metals, something like that. But there is, I think, a lot of people out there who have, you know, taken on either like some sort of voyage of curiosity or kind of taken on a passion that they've had or an idea and have turned it into something that like exists and sells yeah. and people know about, you know, yeah. and, you know, or people who write or who draw and people who do things to kind of a high standard. I always am fascinated by what they have to say and what kind of experiences they have to share. Yeah. I think we've often found on this particular show that no matter what you're doing, we, and it's primarily small business that I talk to, we're all kind of having the same, I won't say struggle, but learning similar lessons just in different industries, you know? Yeah. And, and it's great to see those things and whether it's um, the same problems in trying to get organized or, you know, remembering to pay rates. Yeah. You know, or whatever these things are, you know, some of the, there's a lot of similarities. Um, yeah. And then I suppose then I think it's more I find it's more in your kind of material, your choice of material, your choice of kind of output. That's where or also your kind of choice of how you um, how you sell as well. Kind of what's what's your story? Yeah. Um, those things kind of add. Uh, Add that kind of the sort of that kind of elements of individuality also adds the elements of problems that only you can solve. Yeah, yeah. And you're just going to have to learn those lessons along the way. And sometimes you're going to get it right, and mostly you're going to get it wrong. But at least you learn something there too. <laughs> but I, I, I think, um, you know, they say kind of try again, fail again, fail better, or something like that. But I think I personally feel that only through making the mistakes are you ever going to see what the right way to do things is. Yeah. You have to, you got to rule out all the wrong ways of doing it. And you've got to be open to them as well. Cause you know, if there's, 
there's no right way. There is no wrong way. There's just a bunch of different ways to do the same thing. Yeah. And depending on, you know, what you want out of it and what kind of drives you, I think people will find different solutions. Yeah, make sure what's right for you may not necessarily be what's right for someone else, depending on what your your end goal really is and how you want to get there. Yeah, exactly. Or or even how you want to spend your days. You yeah. Know? yeah. Some people will work all day. Some people want to get out and surf at five o'clock. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And you know, some months you want to work all day, and some months you want to you know get out at five o'clock and you know do something else. So I think there's kind of a fine balance, and I think we should kind of be like self-disciplined but open to our own kind of. Uh, interpretations of how things work. Yeah, sound advice for anyone looking to work for themselves, I think. Um, so I also see, just I'm having a quick look here, that you're doing a little mini exhibition in your in the window of the shop for October. Oh yeah, so uh, yeah, Tig from one of the curators from the Glassman Gallery came around today with a couple of framed prints um, from kind of a collaborative project that's running around Cork City. So there's. Uh, maybe six or seven different uh, businesses and um, exhibiting prints from uh, participants of okay, their art art prints made by participants in a workshop that Shane O'Driscoll conducted in the Glucksman with teenagers from kind of, uh, direct provision or their or refugee camps or kind of general kind of the general migrants um, and these. Uh, teenage rats to kind of interpret their those kind of their kind of relationship to music in a kind of an artistic way. So uh, Shane kind of brought over a lot of artwork. We kind of printed it with my Reza printer in the office, and you know got them framed up and got them around town. So they're interesting pieces, kind of very kind of yeah. There's there's such a variation within them. I gave the kind of their three color Reza prints. I'm not sure if anyone. Wants, wants to know what a Rezo printer is or whatever. Which you may as well while we're here. You can do. Yeah, it's like, a Rezo is like a stencil printer, like a kind of a screen printer mixed with a photocopier. So it can kind of print out stuff fast, but awkwardly. <laughs> um, I need to put down every color individually. Yeah. So it's not kind of like, though it's kind of a quick digital printer, it's also kind of um, clumsy and artistic, I suppose, because it just it kind of brings about some mistakes and stuff. So we kind of took this kind of mixture of kind of collage and drawing work that was made in these workshops and kind of put each layer down in a different color. So we kind of tried to bring them kind of to life a little bit um, just through kind of changing the way that, I suppose, changing the sketch and kind of running it through a different sort of process and kind of giving it a bit more, I don't know, uh, color, I suppose, in a certain sense. But yeah, they're fun things to do. I like to yeah. be able to exhibit uh, artwork. Because I just like having pictures on the wall. Yeah, well, it sounds like a nice project to be part of in fairness as well. Yeah, it's great. It's great to see these things happening as well. I think there's a good momentum in Cork at the moment for doing creative projects and for, yeah, getting stuck in some art. Yeah, I was very impressed. I think it was, it was a June or July I was down to you. I was in Cork for a few days and I was, I was super impressed with the, just the general vibe down there, you know? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> You're in Cork, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You wouldn't want to be saying anything otherwise, even if even if you felt, <laughs> if you felt differently. Felt boring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't say that to anyone from New York. Be brave, man. Right, for it. head off, you like. <laughs> All right, so uh, keeping an eye on time here. Maybe um, very quickly, where can people find your stuff? Where can they find you online? What's your most active kind of platform? Is it Instagram or what do you like to? 
I Instagram all the way. It's kind of the only platform I suppose I use. Um, <clears throat> the website then is badlymadebooks.com and Instagram account as well is Instagram.com slash badlymadebooks. In fact, it's kind of badlymadebooks on everything. Yeah. Uh, part of the appeal of the name was that it was free across it's all the platforms. Um, <laughs> you can't say that didn't dictate like how the reason I picked that name. <laughs> um, but yeah, and the shop is on one fire street court. And the books are available in this wonderful shop in Moy Cullen, the of Galway, <laughs> called Tree Bark Store. <laughs> they all oh, be sure to check that coffee. place out. <laughs> Great banter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that, that's along with a couple of other shops around. We've got a lot of places in Cork, Gluckman Gallery, Wild Design, Nananagle Place, um, and Forest of Flock out in Bantry, Print Bookshop Kinsale. Got a uh, designist in Dublin as well as Article, Tamp and Stitch. And I'm forgetting about a couple of other places as well. But yeah, the books are out there. You just got to search them down. And someday, just like the Irish Times, will be everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the long-term goal, yeah? That's my inspiration yeah, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Right, get a product you can sell in every shop. Yeah. People come and buy it every day. Yeah. I mean, come on. Why not? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean, before we finish up, was there anything else you'd like to mention or anyone you'd like to say thanks to or anything like that? Yeah, I'm not gonna say thanks. I'm gonna open the thanking because that kind of that's a very long list, and, yeah. and there's there's too many people there because no matter whether people have said two words or you know talked to me for ten years, you know, all sorts of things have kind of helped kind of create my uh, business and kind of my creative industry in itself. Um, anything to know about? I think that on Jazz Weekend in Cork, probably on the Friday night. We're going to open the shop up late and have a six-month opening party and a kind of a, a grand opening finally. So if anyone would like to call down to the shop uh, in Cork, Saturdays only for the moment or if the door is open during the week. Um, and definitely on the Friday of the Jazz Weekend, which I believe is the last weekend of this month or Halloween weekend, um, we're going to be putting on a party in the shop. So cool. no details yet other than party. Yeah. <laughs> That's good enough. <laughs> Okay. Overlay some booze. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? And Jeff, if you're around, make sure you call in. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Um, so, Sean, that was great. I really enjoyed that. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I'll put some links to all your websites and various resources, anyways, in the show notes so everyone can find your awesome products. And uh, you'll be hearing from me very soon with the Christmas order as well. Oh, super stuff. Yeah. Glad to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, thanks very much. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you, too, Jeff. Much appreciated. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Creative Voices. This podcast is sponsored by Treebark Store and produced by P3B Photography. For more information, find us on Instagram, treebark.store, or at P3B underscore photos. You can visit our website, treebarkstore.com, or p3bphotography.com. Thanks again, and catch you on the next episode.